Welcome to the MBI Edge podcast, where we explore the backgrounds of interesting individuals and how they intersect with our building industry in Iowa. We're going to bring to you topics that help educate, develop, grow, and enhance you and your company. Welcome to the MBI Edge podcast, the uh, Cup of Joe segment here. I'm your host, Joe Melton, Director of Operations for CSSI. Today, I am welcomed with our guest speaker today, Kim Hodney who we have coined our professor. Uh, Kim joined us about a year ago, and when he came down with uh, over 40 years of experience and quickly getting to know him, we uh, here at MBI have coined him the uh, professor, and glad you joined me today, Kim. Would you mind kind of giving a quick uh, intro of how you came about in getting into safety and your background and the master design and plan of how you got here. Yeah, good morning, Joe. Thank you for that. Um, my career in safety is actually an accidental career. I born and raised in Iowa and joined the Navy way back to get, reach escape velocity from the state. I had a wandering heart, ended up in the Pacific Northwest. And after my uh, term with the Navy, I was a college student on break between the spring and the summer quarters, a friend asked if I needed a job, and of course, being a college student on the GI Bill, I needed a job. I landed up in a company, Dakota Creek Industries, which was, of all things, a shipbuilder. Never being a kid from Iowa, the immensity of these boats, these ships, the the construction, just what was going on, I I found my niche, I found my place. So I started out on the deck plates, and I was a, a painter and a blaster in the shipbuilding. Uh, did that for, oh, about eight years before OSHA interrupted my career as a painter blaster by changing the respiratory protection rules. They went from, in 1999, they updated it where you, you could previously be have stubble for a beard. You know, you, you could not be clean-shaven. And they switched the rule to clean-shaven. Well, because of a sensitive skin and this and that. Uh, I shaved for the first month. It was breaking out. I went to the doctor. They said, you have to stop doing what you're doing. You can't shave. And my heart just sank. I was like, I'm a painter. I have to to wear a respirator. I have to do this. I'm sorry, you can't do it. So I end up, I go to the owner of the company. It's like, Mr. Nelson, I I can't paint anymore. I, I can't wear a respirator. He said, relax, because I was actually a part of the safety committee. I was the shipyard competent person, meaning I did all the gas freeing of all of the tanks and uh, double bottoms in the ships before the welders, making them safe for workers. I had a, a foot in the door of safety anyway, so uh, he moved me right into a position uh, of safety in, in the safety department. Uh, I worked that at that for about a year or so. And you have to understand, as a painter, we're kind of the loose cannons in a shipyard. We're uh, a little rebellious, if you will. You know, we just kind of work our way. So I wasn't safety was never a top and priority for what I did. I was always safe for myself. But now I had to change, flip that role, and uh, took it on. Worked with the uh, men and women in the shipyard, and uh, kind of got to know the idea and start to understand how safety worked and why safety was there and, and the protections that it uh, that it gave to the workforce. Um, probably a year later, we had an OSHA inspection come through the yard. And in Washington State, they have uh, marine and dock specialists. 
meaning just for the shipyard. There's only three in the state. And we went through the inspection, got some citations. We were fighting the citations. And probably a month after the inspection, I got a call from the person who did the inspection, who was the supervisor for the state plan, the, the OSHA office in Washington, and wanted to know if I, was looking, if I would uh, entertain a job with them. It's like, are you kidding me? I have a job, but I didn't want to rock the boat because we were fighting their citations. So I went through the hoops, did the interview, did the testing, went down. And when I did interview with them, it was a panel of three and all people that I knew. And I wasn't looking for a job. I loved my job at the shipyard. And so I was just pretty much like I am now myself. And then two weeks later, they called and offered me a job. And it's like, are you kidding me? So now I have to go back to the owner of the company, Dick Nelson. I said, Dick, this is what happened. They they want me to take this job as an as a OSHA compliance officer. And he told me, again, relax, Kim. We need people from the deck place. We need people from the field in that position. You will always have a job here, but we could really use somebody with inside knowledge in there walking the jobs and working uh, with industry. So that was kind of the true jettison back in 2000 into full-time safety or hardcore safety, if you will, as a compliance officer at Kosho. And I did that for three years. It was excellent uh, education. I learned the standards very much. I learned how the inspections occur, kind of the thought process of it all, how citations are written, just all of what went in with that compliance officer, that safety inspection. I then jumped back into, got another job offer, went back into shipbuilding where I kind of could relax in, as a safety director for a yacht builder. And then again, uh, fortune comes knocking at the door and my mentor, the gentleman who brought me into safety in the original shipyard said, Kim, give these people a call. And I looked at it and it was a note, uh, a company, the largest shipbuilder up in Alaska. And it's like, are you kidding? I've always wanted to go to Alaska. So I ended up, I, I went up to Ketchikan, Alaska. And uh, became the safety director for a shipyard that had 245 employees. These shipyard was made up of ex-fishermen, loggers, and construction guys. And I, I tease you, they couldn't even spell OSHA. I mean, they were very resilient. And I was from the lower 48. And to be from the lower 48 up in Alaska, it's kind of a disparaging thing. You know, they don't have a whole lot of trust for the lower 48 because we're always in Alaska looked as the outlier. And after probably nine months walking around the yard trying to get to know, I understood that I landed in a different, I landed in Oz, basically. It was a whole different culture. It was, it was different than the lower 48. And you have to accept that uh, for what it is. And you have to earn and the respect and earn your way in. And after that nine months of walking around and people, oh, safety first, you know, safety guys here. And it was just kind of a ha-ha. It wasn't real serious because they'd never had to take it serious before. And at that point, uh, at a safety meeting where it was all hands, I had 245 of them in front of me, I said, okay, group, no more of this safety first. Safety isn't first. Safety isn't last. It's not in the middle. It's not an outlier. It is safety always, period. It's a condition of employment. It's how we work. It's how we do what we do. And there is a code for safety, just like there's a, we have to follow the Coast Guard and the American Ship uh, Bureau uh, codes as we're building the vessels and doing the different work we're raising the level and i had lots of conversations and in my years over a decade as the safety director with this group i only actually raised my voice once and threw my hard hat twice uh in aspirate you know just i was exasperated 
which happens in safety and in the heavy industries and the construction. But it's because I had conversations. I didn't come in as a heavy hammer uh, beating safety over the people's head. We learned kind of together. I would listen and have a conversation. Conversation is a big part of what it is. They just, the, the problem, and it's not a problem, but the challenge with safety is if you have a hard code like electrical code, the NEC code, it's wire and pipe, you know, you, you have to follow the code, it's either right or it's wrong. When you deal with safety, the code for safety, it's behavioral. It's the way that we do things. So now, where it's not tangible that the people can work with, now all of a sudden you're interrupting their way of doing things, the way that they think they may have done it this way for 20 years, even though it's outside of the code, outside of the safety regulations, it's never been a problem for them. So to get them to understand and through the conversation with them, okay, this is how it needs to be. How can we work on the parameters of this? And they, they have to have buy-in. When you're working with safety, they have to understand what's in it for me. Why is this good for me? And yes, I can change. Can you give me, how? okay, I want to do it this way, but you say I can't. So how can we, can I still make it comfortable and I can still get my work done, but still be within the, the code, still be within the OSHA standard, the safety policy that we have? And that worked really well. The group came along. Two years after uh, the initiation of Safety Always with the shipyard, we built a vessel for the op- uh, a Navy boat. The, the Navy came to us. It was a naval research vessel, 192 foot. We put 520,000 man hours into the construction of this vessel, zero lost time injuries. I think I had three or four first aid injuries through the whole project but they had buy-in because they understood they were were not getting hammered over the head they were given the resources that they needed to do the job and instead of me just saying okay you have to do it this way but I'm not going to give you anything to do it with you know figure it out on your own if you work with the employees if you work with the workforce and understand where they're coming from me being from the deck place and moving up uh, was an advantage for myself because I understood the work. I'd been out there in the driving rain and the freezing cold and wind and everything else and having to do it so I understood what they were going through because I'm also, as a safety guy, I'm walking around. I'm not sitting in an office. You're a part of the team. You have to be out there engaged with the workforce constantly and helping them and coaching them and moving along. So that being a nutshell, if that's a nutshell, is pretty much how my career in safety began and, and bloomed. So part of what you say, uh, being successful, going from operations, from the deck plate to the, the safety role, approachability was about being available, is what I kind of heard there. Absolutely. And as you reflect back on when you got the call that you were, you felt like your career was over as a painter, and you went into this unforeseen, unchartered water into OSHA, <clears throat> would you mind... Uh, discussing a little bit on how that set you up uh, to be available when our country was hurt the most at 9-11. When you had the opportunity to go out there and help protect those firefighters, and because of your experience on the deck plate, that allowed you to be the best candidate um, to work with them on ground zero to make sure that they were properly fit tested. Would you take about 30 seconds and kind of reflect on that importance and how you were able to be successful? Well, um, 9-11 was devastating to the country. That goes without saying. And at that time, I was a part of the uh, OSHA 
state plan group in Washington State. And when that happened, the devastation was so great, and we were caught flat-footed, if you will. But everyone um, was rushed in to aid and for rescue and the construction workers, the first responders. But that building uh, was so old, the asbestos, the lead, the toxins, everything that was going on uh, at the Ground Zero site, people still suffering from, from that event, you know, those that responded. And the call went out from the Fed OSHA across the, the country to all the different states and the different state plan states for volunteers uh, to assist in many different um, capacities in, in keeping the, the workforce safe uh, at Ground Zero. And one of them was a fit test. And we went for two-week rounds uh, in and out. And for two weeks, just fit testing and uh, training and working with first responders, construction workers for respiratory protection and walking around that site. And uh, quite obviously something that you never forget. It's always with you and it had to be done, but so many made the call and the importance of respiratory protection, which took me out of my original career, put me in that accidental career of safety and I could never be more grateful for that opportunity and where it's led me, because um, I'm a working guy, a rebel at heart, um, but I understand and keeping people safe in the workplace, working inside of the code and the rules is very important to me because of injuries and fatalities. If you've never been on a job site where there has been a fatality or in a company where a work-related fatality occurred, there's nothing more devastating uh, to go through professionally than have that occurrence happen. And if I, the more I can do and bring uh, new safety professionals into the career um, to help, at the end of the day, it's about everybody goes home. So when we... Look at you coming to MBI and being a CSSI consultant and leaving your legacy of four decades, five decades of working in the United States, the different roles that you've had. You know, I look back at how you're able to mentor that next generation of individuals that maybe want to go from the field into a role like this, or maybe they're there and want some additional help. Uh, is that something that has your interest here when we look at the next couple years um, of leaving your stamp on the industry? Very, very, very much so. Thank you for asking that because bringing the next generation of safety professionals up and it is a career and for a lot of people it's an accidental career. Safety is uh, so often unfortunately left as an outlier. It's the extra that we have to do or oh yeah and we have to do safety and and changing that culture and getting it to where it's safety always and it's a part of how we work it's the way that we work it's not the afterthought that it is but safety like i had mentioned earlier is difficult and a challenge because you're working with people and trying to change the way they do things trying to change their behavior are they going to stand on that five gallon bucket and reach up and do a task that lasts about 30 seconds? Are they gonna take a minute and a half, go get the step ladder, bring it over, set it up, do it safe and correctly, and why they need to do that? And the company wants them to do that. I mean, every, the company's business wants people safe. They want production, you know, and it's a hard line between 
sometimes safety in production, you know. Well, no, we didn't have time. Yes, you do have time. It's built in. You have to make the time. It's a cultural deal. So it's really important to bring the next group up, understanding what the workforce is doing, the challenges that they have, and how can they work within the parameters of the safety code. And a good part of that, it starts at the training level, from the apprenticeship programs uh, to even down into the high schools. And if, if working and doing it correctly in the side of the code, inside the safety code, we're doing it that way always, it becomes how we do it. It's not something that has to get relearned. So mentoring and bringing up another generation to have the understanding, I don't want to use the word compassion, but the empathy is, okay, I understand what you're having to do. How can we get you to do it this way that it needs to be done and you still be as productive as what you can? You don't have to be a hammer for safety. You have to be a, a, a co-worker, somebody that's in the game with them. You, not somebody that comes down from the office, yells and points and says, oh, this, that, and then you go, you disappear again. You have to be in the game. You have to be on the field. You have to be part, one of the players. So when we close this up and look at the path that, that you've been on for many, many years, when one door closes, another is going to open. And that may allow us to be more impactful. And there's a resource here in Iowa for the Master Builders of Iowa members to reach out to with Kim Hodney. So we encourage you um, that as you look to get into a safety committee role or whatever it may be, you're already in a safety role, uh, reach out to Kim he can come in, uh, or it might even be just a phone call to help guide you through things. Because in your career, you mentioned four times, I had this mentor that helped me along the way. And I know in my career, as we'll discuss at the Winter Conference, uh, I had the same. My career was a safety by accident. And when, when you look at it, yeah, <laughs> some of the best safety people didn't maybe go to college for it. And, and at the same time, it's not only just the young uh, safety professionals that are coming along or somebody that's later in their career that ends up out of the field and in a safety role uh, and, and what that means and to understand but it, at the same time safety pushes not only from the bottom up but from the top down it has to come all around so even for those uh, project managers and business owners out there struggling with safety it's like how do I make this work we can have the conversations even with the C-suite the you know leadership to develop a safety culture that can work for their company that's designed to them and the jobs that they do. Because a shipbuilding company is far different uh, than a road building company. But uh, I always tease people, my projects floated on the water, your projects stand on a foundation. They all have the same uh, uh, components that go into it. But uh, how, how can we do it in a safe way? So point is, is we can mentor, even with leadership, it, the, the struggles with it. They just throw their hands up sometimes and say, guys, just won't do it. Well, how can we in your company create the culture, the safety that, that needs to be as strong as all the achievements you've made and awards you've won for your construction projects, for what you, your end results, but how did we get there? How can we help build that other culture? Well, Kim, thanks for joining me today for a cup of coffee and the Cup of Joe segment of the MBI Edge podcast series. And we look forward to you leaving your stamp on the industry and making Iowa a better place. It's my pleasure. Thank you.